Thanks for downloading this episode from Teachers Talk Radio. You can find the full schedule and listen back to all our shows at ttradio.org. Enjoy the podcast. It's time for a fresh start to language learning. Pearson Edexcel's new student-centred French, German and Spanish 2024 GCSEs cater to the needs of all learners, regardless of their background, ability or reason for studying. Rooted in learned language knowledge, their assessments are transparent and accessible, allowing all students to showcase their language skills. Through inclusive and relatable content, the new Pearson Edexcel MFL GCSEs build a shared cultural capital that helps students develop an understanding of and appreciation for the wider world. Find out more at go.pearson.com forward slash MFL GCSE 24. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Teachers Talk Radio, The Late Show, with Darren Lester and lots and lots of wonderful guests who are going to be joining us very shortly. Just as a means of introduction, this show is the third in a series of shows uh, with Pearson looking at uh, the relevance of language learning, and, and today's show is going to be all about languages beyond the classroom. If you're interested in finding out more, about Pearson MFL and their new GCSE curriculum and resources, then you are going to find out more during the course of this evening's wonderful show. Um, I'm going to now pass over to Darren uh, while I'm connecting up the various guests. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Good evening, everybody. I am so, so, so excited to be back with you this evening to talk about the relevance of language learning outside of the classroom. Um, this is one of my big, big passions. As much as I hate the word passion in education, I feel like it gets banded round a lot. And um, as we've talked about before, as I've talked about before on the Saturday morning breakfast show, it quite often is used to justify our low pay and um, our sometimes quite poor working conditions because of the vocational aspect. Um, for me, the, the the point of teaching languages, the point of our students learning languages is so that they can use them outside of the classroom. Um, I always say to my students, very few people take A-level Chinese, A-level French, A-level Latin, whatever it might be that I'm teaching at the time, in order to become a Chinese, French, Latin teacher. Um, quite often you take those subjects because you go on and do something different with them, either something in languages, a, a translator, a writer, whatever it may be, or a another kind of enterprise, doctor, business person, um, paramedic. I don't know why I've got the, the medical field in my head today, but I have. And languages then work in conjunction with that to help you to reach more people. So for me, it's very much about how we get our students to appreciate that, how we get our students to understand that. Um, and, and that we can get those who are not necessarily linguists, but understand the, the need to speak another language, to work alongside those students who are linguists, the ones who are like us and interested in how language works and why it works and kind of how we can get the two to work together. So we have got some amazing hosts, um, some amazing guests, I'm sorry, this evening. Um, and as ever, I am hoping to not have to do too much talking to allow all of my guests to, to talk and to educate me and us on all of the wonderful things that they do and that they suggest both in and out of the classroom um, to get our students on board. So what I'm going to do 
because I feel like this has worked quite well in the past, is um, guests, if you are ready, um, I'm just going to kind of circle time style, um, go around and ask you to introduce yourselves. So, um, Rebecca, shall we start with you? Hi, so I'm Rebecca Waker. I'm the subject advisor for languages at Pearson. And it basically means I'm the, the first port of contact for anybody wanting to ask questions about our languages qualifications. And I was a teacher myself until uh, December of last year. So very fresh out of the classroom, although the last seven months have uh, kind of flown by. Oh, I'm sure they have. I'm sure they have. I, I um, remember when you transitioned um, into Pearson and how exciting that was. Because, uh, of course, you've been a big part of the the MFL Twitterati for such a long time. Um, and it was so exciting to see kind of one of our own transitioning into, you know, into the the, the big shoes of the exam board. So, so that was really cool. Congratulations on that. I don't remember whether I tweeted you, um, but it must be a, a really exciting transition for you. Yeah, thank you. And thank you. It was really nice of you to say. And yeah, it has. It's been it's been great to move over and be supporting teachers on a daily basis in a in a different way to how I already was with yeah things like the Twitter and teach me icons and that kind of thing. So, yeah, it's been a really good change. Ah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, For those of you who have been listening over the past couple of shows, uh, Fiona needs no introduction. But just in case, um, Fiona, would you like to introduce yourself? That's very kind, Darren. Thank you. Yes, Mm -hmm. I'm trying to think. I don't want to say all exactly the same things that I said in the last. It's really hard, isn't it? (laughs) Um, But for those of you who don't know me, um, I'm Fiona Price and I joined Pearson last year. I'm part of the MFL product team so we design the resources rather than the qualification but obviously we're working very closely with the new spec and I'm leading on the Spanish resourcing so getting all those digital and print resources ready exciting times for teachers so that they're ready for the 2024 exams um I this is a topic very close to my heart because before I joined Pearson I was a languages teacher for 23 years in secondaries mainly but I did have a short uh, stint well short stint five or six years in primary schools as well where I taught Spanish up to key stage two key stage one and key stage two and I think this the whole thing about languages beyond the classroom is just absolutely essential because you want that eureka moment when the penny drops the more children that you can get to the target language country just the better really because it's just such an incredible experience that's how my love of languages began with an exchange trip and I've led Oh, amazing. Yeah, I've led many, many, many exchanges as, you know, head of department and as a as a nor- just a, a, a normal teacher, a classroom teacher to Germany and to Spain. And I think as well, I'm sure we'll touch on this, but also, you know, trying to think of cultural events, other ways you can hook kids in and take it beyond the classroom so that, like you say, it's, you know, it's so that they can see the power that languages have to transform your life, to give your life something more and enhance it and other cultures and obviously the dream is to get them to the country Um, but there are other ways as well and it's something I'm massively passionate about and supporting teachers to be able to do that and that's obviously a big part of our resources that even if you can't get your kids to the target language country we want the book to bring that rich culture really to life in the classroom but it starts with that and then you want to take it beyond that and get them mad about Spanish films or French poetry or German literature, whatever it might be, um, German cars, it doesn't matter, but something that is relevant, <laughs> relevant to their lives. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what that thing is, but hooking them in in that way. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. And this is um, a really good extension of the last show that we did all about cultural capital. Um, so if any of our listeners haven't heard that one, please do. Once this is over, don't leave now, but please do go back and listen to that one, because I'm sure a lot of what we talk about today will build on our discussion of cultural capital, of how we get our students to, to, to broaden their cultural horizons through things like exchanges and um uh the the digital world and all of that sort of thing so um yeah it'll be really exciting to kind of build on what we were talking about last time um i let's go next to a lady who also needs absolutely no introduction at all she is the one and only miss esmeralda how are you esmeralda uh, hello hi I'm very, very, very honoured to be here. I don't, uh, yes, uh, it's fantastic to share uh, my views. I am a head of MFL at the moment, when I'm sat in September. I was head of MFL, I had a year off, and then I'm back to the, you know, to the mm -hmm. classroom, and I'm going to uh, be oh. yes, head of MFL in the secondary school, comprehensive school, uh, and I love... Um, not just languages, but how to make languages accessible to students so they understand the need to learn languages. And in my previous school, we used to have a motto, which was taking languages outside the classroom. And in my new school, we've decided that new motto is going to be languages are life skill. And that's just to, oh, I love just it. to capitalize, you know, the importance of the language, of learning language, not just as we were saying, which I, I absolutely am. Um, I agree. It's not just about doing languages to be a teacher, or to be a translator. It's about doing languages to do any other path and open paths in your life, the same way as you swim, the same way as you play instruments, the same way as you read. It's a life skill. And I, uh, and I think we can do, as teachers, a lot of things in the classroom. And yes, traveling is amazing. But not only that, uh, there are lots of things, even if you can travel through project-based learning and how we can make languages connect with the languages in the classroom. So it's really, really super excited. And thank you for your lovely uh, introduction as well. And honored to be here with people like Fiona, Rebecca, absolutely delighted. Oh, Esmeralda, we are so happy to have you. And I'm so excited to hear that you are back in the classroom. Because um, last time we spoke was at the MFL Icons um, right. last summer. Yes. Um, and that was, yeah, and that's kind of when you were making your transition. That's right. um, and, you know, I knew, I knew that you would succeed during your year off, which you clearly have because you've been doing some amazing stuff. But your, your passion and your enthusiasm is infectious. And I'm so excited <laughs> to hear that you're back in the classroom, passing it on to it our young people. To have year off and to see things, but I belong. I belong in the classroom and I belong with uh, with the kids. So super excited to be back. Ah, excellent, excellent. All right, thank you. Let's now go to um, Declan, who is the director at International Newcastle. Good evening. Hi there, this is uh, Declan Bahrini. Yes, I'm the director of International Newcastle. I'm not a teacher, but I'm very passionate about languages, international links and developing intercultural awareness for children and young people. And so as part of International Newcastle, our role is 
to facilitate, broker and enable partnerships that support that within the city of Newcastle. And our priority is all about Newcastle being an international city for children and young people as confident global citizens. And we've been working on this um, since 2019. We've done a lot of stakeholder engagement with schools and other people in the city. And it's all about, uh, for us, it's about raising ambitions, building skills, widening access to the opportunities that young people can achieve in their lives and careers. And we have like three interconnected strands. So the things that your speakers are talking about already are music to my ears because <laughs> we have... We launched an initiative called Newcastle City of Languages back in 2020, just before the pandemic, two months before the pandemic. Oh, typical. No, but the pandemic was actually has been helpful for all our work, strangely. So we we launched this partnership and it's all about um, supporting teachers in so CPD, bringing in resources, links, opportunities for teachers to be involved in improving how they teach and access different types of resources. We run events and webinars, all sorts of different things. Um, and we also set up, because of the pandemic, we set up a regional festival of languages. So I hope oh, amazing. to coordinate that. Yeah, and we've got over 50 partners delivering activities for free every year. Um, and it's it's been incredibly successful. We had 21,000 children involved this year, 521 schools. And that's the fun side of um, languages and links and cultures. And the other two strands, very, very important. A huge piece of work that we do is around brokering international links for schools and also supporting them to access funding to then travel. And if they're not traveling, we actually help them to develop a, an international approach within the school, have the link and work online on different projects and initiatives to build the relationships so that they still get the benefits. They get more benefits if they go on the visits. <laughs> but uh, I've just worked it out today, actually. We've raised a million pounds over three rounds of cheering for schools in the city. So no, no. that's not bad. I'd like all the schools to be able to do that. But, uh, you know, not all of them apply and not all of them have the confidence. But then we have our third strand, which is around internationalism within the city itself. So that's about connecting schools, children, young people, both within their own schools uh, through initiatives like Schools of Sanctuary, lots of different intercultural activities linking them with partners in the city who can come into the schools um, and really supporting the kind of multilingual classrooms that we have Newcastle strangely you probably wouldn't imagine but we have a very very diverse uh, primary and secondary population now in the schools oh, so wow. it's about shining a light on on all of the different languages and cultures that are in the schools and we create activities and initiatives that enable uh, all the children to participate in activities. So it's a kind of three-pronged interconnected approach. So languages are sitting not on their own in a lesson. They're actually, we're trying to spread the languages across the school community and spread the links and build build opportunities for children and young people. I love that. I think that's such a good idea. It sounds like an amazing initiative. Um, and I, I love the fact that, that Newcastle is involved because, you know, it just it shows the kids that the city itself values languages. The city is saying that they are important. And so, you know, that's more than just their French teacher saying, oh, yes, you have to learn French. 
um, I think that's really cool. Well, yes, and you know, unfortunately, in the northeast and in Newcastle, you know, we have a one of the lowest language take ups. Yes, uh, in the country, so there are some serious kind of evidence and reasoning behind our approach, and we've done a huge amount of consultation, and we are trying to sort of book the trend, and we start from everything from early years onwards, um, and we have fantastic partners in the universities. So we're working with a sort of widening participation the School of Modern Languages, other, other um, people within the university, the pro-vice-chancellors on international. And we, we're doing a whole range of activity around languages and careers to try and uh, encourage children from year eight onwards okay. to think about languages. Just as you said in your introduction, it, the, the amount of opportunity that is out there, the range of careers, the range of things you can do when you have a language, it's so important. And a lot of our children just don't, it doesn't come on the radar in the careers advice yes. don't, doesn't ever mention it and that's no. something we're actually i'm on a mission to change that and we're working with our local enterprise partnership to try and look at that and see if we can actually make some change excellent that's that's such a good point that uh, that we'll come back to later but i think the careers department in schools um, can play such a big role to help us out. Um, I'm very lucky because in my school, our careers advisor actually has a degree in French. Um, mm. So she she knows how important it is, but I think it's really good that, um, that, that schools that are not as lucky as me have got um, businesses, have got um, initiatives like yours that can kind of push that along. That's really exciting. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Karine, are you there? Hello, yes, I'm here. Hello. How are you? I'm okay, thank you. Yourself? Yes, I'm very well, thank you. Um, why don't you tell our audience a little bit about who you are, what your background is? Yeah, so I was going to say a few things. So I'm a teacher, so I've been teaching for over 20 years now. I currently teach part-time um, at a school in Essex, and you've got two of my students here uh, this evening to talk about their experience. Um, but over the last 10 years, I've been working at Pearson at Excel. So I've been working on many projects. And recently, I've been working with Fiona on resources for the new um, GCSE. And I've been also involved in the new uh, GCSE and um, yeah, so the, the new spec. But I'm also um, one of the trainers at Pearson. So talking to teachers about the, um, you know, what we do and how we can support them. So, yeah, that's kind of me in a nutshell. Um, I'll talk later about my experience of um, promoting languages when we get into uh, chatting. But, uh, yeah, just a few things here about me. No, that's awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us. Um, mm. I love... One of the things I love about this show is that we get such a, a diverse range of voices from across the teaching community, from across the country. Um, but we all seem to be singing from the same hinge sheet, which I think is so important. Um, OK, and so to finish us off, Victoria, are you there? Hi there. Hello. How are you? I'm brilliant. Thank you. Good, good. Why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Hi, so I'm one of Miss Harrington's students and I've just finished taking my A-levels in the past few weeks and I did my French A-level. Um, yeah, so I'll be talking a little bit about Excellent, excellent. How did you find the, the exam this year? Did you think it was okay? Oh, hi, sorry. Um, no, that's right. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was all right. I didn't mind yeah. it so much. <laughs> Good, good. I thought that as well. When I looked through it, um, 
we my school we do the edxl one but when i looked through i thought it was um it was a nice one so fingers crossed for you thank you very much <laughs> right now we have got such a wide range of speakers today can i just double check that i've not missed anybody so if you are thinking that you're speaking and i've not asked you to introduce yourself can you please let me know i think you're all good darren Excellent. Good, good, good. You're, I was looking at the, the speakers list and it was so long. I've been paranoid <laughs> for about 12 hours that I would miss somebody off. So that is a good thing. That is a good thing. Right. We will get down to business. We have got a bumper show today. Uh, we are going to go for the two hours like we did last time, because even that we found was not enough. Um, and so we are hoping to fill it with really, really interesting um, things to talk about. But we will get straight down to business. And I'm going to ask the question of anybody who would like to answer it um why do we think that exchanges and visits because they're the things that kind of came up the most um during those introductions as things that that we think are important why do we think that exchanges and visits are are important to encourage our students to love languages it's time for a fresh start to language learning Pearson edXL's new student-centred French, German and Spanish 2024 GCSEs cater to the needs of all learners, regardless of their background, ability or reason for studying. Rooted in learned language knowledge, their assessments are transparent and accessible, allowing all students to showcase their language skills. Through inclusive and relatable content, the new Pearson edXL MFL GCSEs build a shared cultural capital that helps students develop an understanding of and appreciation for the wider world. Find out more at go.pearson.com forward slash MFL GCSE 24. Uh, Rebecca, go for it. So I think, you know, the main the main thing or the first, I guess, most obvious thing is for so many of our students, the, the country of where the language is spoken is just so distant to them. Anything that can make that a more tangible thing to really get to experience the language and get to understand that it's not just spoken by the teacher at the front of the room within the four walls of the school. I think that's the most important thing from my point of view yeah no absolutely absolutely i i agree with you completely because it can be you know we heard declan talk about the experience of of there being lots of different languages in schools in newcastle and my school is an in, is has a big international cohort but not all schools have that you know lots of schools are um predominantly white predominantly english speaking and so it can create quite an insular idea of what languages are so I agree. I think it's good to get um, to get our students out and, and meeting the people. Uh, Fiona. Yeah, I was kind of going to follow up on that, really. I think it's about the connections, isn't it? It's about, you know, m embracing the joy of what's different, but what's the same? Because you're taking them somewhere yes. where, you know, they will have pat lunches and go, oh, I'm not eating this, you know, but... <laughs> you know and that's the typical thing but that's the whole point isn't it it's about making them step outside their comfort zone but then you can get these wonderful friendships you know sometimes even romantic relationships will develop yeah. and they realize that although these students come from a very different culture and might have different routines they're still all teens you know and now it's quite different because obviously they'll all be whatsapping in advance and yes. you can see those relationships forming and I think that's what's so lovely about it that it's making them kind of see the difference and what's the same, that we're all just people. And that's the whole point, isn't it, about a global outlook? It's not prejudging it. You know, it's embracing what's different and seeing it as a positive. And I think taking a, a student, if you're lucky enough to be able to do that abroad, is 
is that is that starting point really you know I experienced it you know when I was younger I'd never been to Spain you know and I was wasn't that young I mean I was maybe 19 when I first went there but I suddenly just had this eureka moment of everything I loved about all the things that were different but also the commonalities because Spanish people like to talk as much as Scottish people and you know I realized that (laughs) I could I could fit in pretty nicely actually with with the level of chat that I had and um yeah I think that's what's great that's what I really love about it it's seeing those connections and seeing those friendships and that for all that it's different and and they feel really proud you know I've taken kids on cable cars you know where they've been shaking like a leaf they've never done anything like this it's not just about the language it's about life experiences and being really brave and doing something that isn't easy you know it's not always easy as a teacher sometimes to build those really strong relationships with schools and there'll be hiccups but it's important for the kids to see that even though it can be hard it, it builds resilience and they feel really proud when they've overcome that because if you can go and stay with another family or go on a trip to Spain when you might never have left your parents before you do feel proud you no one can take that away from you and that's why I always say to them because it can be hard to convince kids to go on exchange trips you know and they, oh, yeah. they don't want to do it they don't want to be embarrassed they don't want to step outside their comfort zone but that's the, the actual inherent point of the whole thing absolutely absolutely and and I think that quite often even though they might not want to go and they they are embarrassed and it is outside their comfort zone it, it's the the chatting bit that, that the kids want to do I find because um, like a big a big part of my job is preparing for the A level speaking exam. That's the A level component that I teach, um, at least for French and German. And quite often, you know, the the students will come in and I'll have prepared a card for them. But they say to me, "Can we not just practice small talk so that I know <laughs> what I can talk about when I go to France, when I go yeah. to Germany?" And yeah. and so I think you know, obviously, we'd have time to teach small talk in the classroom, but getting them out there to actually do it in situ is is the best way for them to learn definitely excellent Declan yeah it's to me that international connection is so important like you say it brings everything to life and we really do focus on a whole school approach to internationalism and we try to sort of encourage the schools we do lots of webinars and sessions and events sharing uh, people's experience of international links and what you can do, the types of activities you can do. And again, the pandemic has made this so much easier because schools seem a lot more open to working online, doing joint yes. lessons. We've had some brilliant experiences. We've got 60, I think, new links since 2020. So from nothing. Wow. And these are schools that are very, very deprived under huge pressures, lots of different types of pressures. And the children, some of the most deprived in the country and very, very mixed, as I say, in Newcastle, the schools very diverse. But what we try to do is um, if there is one class going on a visit, for example, so there might only be 30 children out of a school going somewhere, we will encourage the school to actually ensure that the whole school is involved and I've been into schools and seen what they do across every year group from the the early years all the way through in the primaries and they do you know they were doing joint maths lessons they were doing geography lessons about uh, France in this particular instance when I was there they were doing all sorts of different things they did cookery lessons they did all sorts of different things together they did um, like a harvest festival type thing they did Christmas activities they have pen pals and so they're constantly through the year building the relationship and the teachers are building the relationship and then the peoples are also building relationships and friendships and it is absolutely life-changing and then comes the visit and yeah 
for our for our families, some of these uh, children have never been to a restaurant, they've never stayed in a hotel, they've never been on a train, they've never been in the centre of Newcastle, some of them. So this is <laughs> just such a huge ask. And we have to do lots of preparation for engaging parents and carers of to course. enable the children to go. We, well, first we have to persuade the schools that this is a good idea. And the more <laughs> we do it, the more results we get, the more we can show the schools, actually, this is life-changing for the entire school and for your curriculum and some of the ones who we supported with international visits in the first round of Turing they've now it was a hard sell to get them even to link with France and now one of them the most private school in the city is actually linked with India and they've just got the funding to go to India I can't believe wow. it and the poorest school in Newcastle with huge amounts of deprivation they're linking with Dubai, with a very uh, rich school in Dubai. And that, I mean, and we had, I tell you what, though, um, I mean, it does, it makes me so inspired because it changed my life going on international visits and doing languages. And I got a degree in Spanish and German and I've been all over the world. And that basically comes back to a visit I did when I was 12 on an exchange to France. And it all kind of stems from there. And I know that. And anybody who's ever done it knows that. Yeah. And, but convincing the schools who might not have that experience, the parents, the children, um, once you've convinced them and once they start sharing information between the schools about the impact, it's incredible. We had two schools come in and present to our board last month. There was um, Tyneview who'd been to Istanbul. Uh, wow. Incredible. But they'd done like a whole year of work with the Turkish community They'd learned uh, bits of Turkish and Arabic. <laughs> they'd learned all about the faith and they'd done all of this work. They'd even been to a Turkish restaurant in Newcastle. And then the children helped plan the visit, which was incredible. Excellent. And the children wrote the presentation and then presented to us. And it was just absolutely inspiring. And the other school had gone to Rome and they were telling us all about their experiences there. And every <laughs> single child... It has a different outlook. They've got a new attitude. They've raised their aspirations. They're more ambitious. One child said, you know, I didn't even know there was anything outside Newcastle. You know, it's yes. kind of, there's a whole world out there and I want to go and see it. Yes. You know, it's absolutely inspiring. So it makes them want to learn about other people, other cultures that are around them, that they can link to. They want to go and see the world. And, you know, it will enhance, we think, over time, this is going to really enhance the curriculum across the board and get them, you know, really fired up to be able to do more and see more and connect more and be interested in the world. And we, a lot of the schools are actually now linking in on things like um, global issues that are local issues as well. So sustainability, yes. forest schools, cycling, health, all these, mental health, all these different things that are important to children. Um, and they want to do something about it and they want to speak to other children in other countries about, well, what's it like where you are, you know, um, and that is really inspiring as well. And we have quite a few now linking on on a kind of sustainability theme, sort of climate change type themes. And I just think that that is amazing. But of the 60 links we've got, 40 are with France and Spain. So that's okay. deliberate because French and Spanish are the most taught languages in our schools. Yes. And we're just about to interview, actually, as of uh, tomorrow, we're going out interviewing the schools to see how 
European and national links are impacting on the MFL curriculum. And nice. One one teacher, head teacher, has say, is, is said it's transformed the MFL curriculum. So the link that they've got with with France, it's completely changed how they teach French and what they can do with French in the school. So I'm really interested, and we're going to be producing some case studies about those experiences so we can share with the schools who aren't engaged yet and say look at this you know look what you can do and in Newcastle we are lucky because international Newcastle I don't think this kind of thing exists anywhere else we're just a little not for profit but we work so closely with school effectiveness and we link into all the schools so we're able to link loads of partners and give loads and loads of support to the schools to do this kind of thing and I think that does make the difference because I've seen where the Turing funding goes and it goes to places where the schools are supported to apply in the main um, like Durham and Newcastle whereas a lot of the other parts of the region don't even apply oh wow it's okay. a great shame yeah I don't know if that's the same in all the regions but we we do a huge amount of work in the months and months and the year leading up to to Turing um, and I think that makes the difference and as I say, that exchange of ideas and information between teachers is really important. And we'd like to do a big celebration event next year. We're thinking of bringing the children together to celebrate what what they what their experiences are as well. So it's it's a very exciting time from a, a base of not not no links. You know, we're really yeah. we're really flying now. But it's a huge amount of work. But it it requires the teachers and the head teachers to kind of want to be involved and want to provide those opportunities so we have a big big engagement of primary but not secondary not for international oh, links yeah we're, okay. try, we're trying and we keep trying but <laughs> secondary are a lot hard and yet you know the the impact on their mfl curriculum could be huge absolutely, absolutely. so i don't really understand that so if there's any secondary teachers there who who have who have any ideas of how we can encourage more international links for the secondaries? We do try, we're non-stop trying to do. That. Um, I, I, we have the links. We've set up loads of strategic partnerships with different parts in Spain and region in Spain, uh, with twin towns, with other places in India and places like that. So the links are actually supported. Um, we just need to get to get them over that barrier. And yes. it might be a time thing. I don't know. I, I think um I mean I've I've got some ideas that we will save because I'm gonna that's my next question. Mm. Um but I, I do think that there are some very specific issues, certainly that have come up when I've done exchanges and visits, um, that I think might be impacting. And so it'll be interesting to hear what the others have mm. to say on um on on what they've done to overcome them. Um Kareen, you want to say something on the importance of them. Um, yeah, I just want to say something, but um, I think um, Vicky and Alice um, would like also to share their experiences on um, trips and visits and I think they've been told to come on at eight o'clock to, to speak to us. So I think maybe oh. Vicky or Alice would like to, uh, before I say something, otherwise, <laughs> you know, it might take forever and they, yeah. they may not have time to speak. So um Yes, yeah, so it is Vicky and I think Alice, yeah, she's just joined as well. She's a, a listener at the moment. Just before, um, just for, maybe. I'm, I, I'm mm -hmm. in here, I'm in here. And just before we connect them, um, I'm just going to uh, give a shout out. There's a little tweet coming in there from Jesse, who says this is a really interesting topic. I just came back from a trip uh, t uh, taking some students out to explore Chinatown on foot. 
feeling exhausted, but still getting <laughs> drawn into the topic. Double smiley emoji. Jesse, come on, that's amazing. Love Thanks it. For joining so, us. I'll shut up what... now. <laughs> but no, mate, that's fine because that's what it's about, isn't it? It, it? It's about going out and doing these things. And, and even as the, the teachers or the students being so empowered by them, so excited by them, that you still want to come on and listen to other people talk about them. I think that's brilliant. That is brilliant. Uh, right. So, Vicky and Alice, are you there? Hi there. Hello. Hello again. <laughs> Hello. All right. So why don't you tell us about your experiences of of trips and exchanges abroad? So um, the school I'm at currently doesn't offer exchanges. So as much as I'd have liked to do an exchange, that to me. But we were able to go for a trip in December um, with the school to France because that's uh, one of the languages is offered. And I thought it was really important to be able to have like a tangible and immersive experience within the country and to be able to ask like questions to the people that are in France and like to see how people are living and working because obviously as brilliant as, as it is to have um, French teachers um, getting the experience of talking to and interacting with people that um, live and work in France really benefited me I think with my air level and I got to experience the culture in person as well as practicing my language skills and like going to locations that I've read about that like shape the history of France um to be able to just learn about that which was really important and helpful we got to like learn about the trains in France which are which was really interesting I quite liked going on the trains out there and like seeing the <laughs> art and the markets so that was really good it's funny isn't it it's those things that you assume are going to be the same like train rides um that end up being the most interesting because they're just so run of the mill that to then experience it in a in a another country where some of it's the same and others isn't um i think that's really exciting yeah Uh, vicky do you want to talk about what you're going to do next year with your kind of your french and what you're hoping (laughs) to do (laughs) um yeah so thanks to um my A-level in French, I've had the opportunity to be able to move to Senegal, which is a French-speaking country next year for eight months, to teach um, young people in disadvantaged communities maths um, and English skills uh, to be able to help them in their higher education and future jobs. Um, Yeah, so that's quite exciting. That's, That's really impressive. Well done. Well done for securing that opportunity. Thank you. And I think it would be interesting um i might have to there we go (laughs) i might have to have you back on the show this time next year um to to talk about that experience and to kind of see what you felt the differences between france and senegal are given that you know the commonality is the language it would be interesting to look at how how the languages impacted the similarities and differences between the two cultures yeah definitely that sounds great (laughs) excellent excellent well done well done um did we have any other uh do we have any other ideas from our students before i ask esme what she thinks um yes hi i also do a level french i've just finished it now hello uh, hello (laughs) and (laughs) i've loved being able to understand like conversations abroad like I've just been to Nice and I could hear like conversations between people my age and it's just so motivating to be able to pick up some words and some (laughs) phrases and yeah I just find it really interesting and I'll definitely carry on 
with my French, hopefully at university. And yeah, I think it's very oh, important excellent. to go abroad because it motivates you to be able to learn a bit more because you want to understand everything that everyone's saying and yeah, be up to date with everything. <laughs> Absolutely. Alicia, do you want to say the other languages that you can speak as well? Maybe your kind of um, how you love languages and what you've been doing with them. Yes. Um. So I've been brought up in a household with an Italian father and a Russian mother. So. Oh wow. I, yeah. So I've been brought up with three languages and learning French as well. I picked it up. I want to say a bit easier because there's some connections with the Italian language, but. Yeah, it's definitely a beautiful language. I do love learning about it and especially the history. <laughs> especially the history of France. And for A-Level, we studied um, a book about World War Two, And um, yeah, I just find it really interesting. <laughs> That's that's excellent. I and mean, it's nice that you've um, you've taken your background with the Russian and the Italian and you've not just stuck to those, which which could be very tempting, but that you've broadened out and that you're exploring French as well. And you're using those as, as hooks. Um, I think that's I think that's a really good way to broaden your horizons and to open up your future. Yes, definitely. And there's so many countries that speak French, so. Um, I think it's an advantage to be able to (laughs) communicate in French everywhere you go. Definitely, definitely. Um, And before I move on, Esme, I know you've been waiting for a while. I apologise, but I'll be with you in one minute. Um, I just wanted to ask, because at the top of, or a few minutes ago, I suggested that, um, you know, young people want to be able to chat and to talk to each other. Um, and, you know, as as interesting as all of us teachers are, and, and we are fascinating, I promise, um, it probably isn't the same talking to us as it is to people your age. So can I ask you, do you think that that is important, being able to go out to, to France or Spain or Senegal and, and meet people your age and, and, and be able to interact with them? Definitely. I think in year, I want to say year nine or year 10, we got um, pen pals in France and we ended up exchanging like Snapchats and we could conversate with French students, which was so interesting. And you get to learn about their everyday lives and how different it is to ours. And yeah, I think it's so important to be able to speak to people your age. And it's slightly as interesting as my teachers are. It's a bit more interesting <laughs> to be able to speak to people my age. No, absolutely. I yeah, yeah. We won't take offence at that. That's fine. <laughs> That's fine. But that is, you know, as as a teacher, that is good for me to have that confirmation. Because sometimes, you know, teachers we say things, we assume things. Um, like I assume that you will want to talk to people your age, and it's always good to have that uh, have that confirmed. Um, Esme, what are uh, your thoughts? Hi, it has been fantastic to hear students talking about this. I mean, I'm just fascinated. It's absolutely fine. Uh, I just, yes, absolutely brilliant. brilliant. I just want to add to the whole thing a little bit of things that have worked for me, uh, especially with when you know um, it was said how sometimes it's difficult to involve you know the schools and to make them into you know in, in into develop these links. Uh, first of all, I really cherish. The, the opportunities of doing exchanges as, as principal, because I really believe it's a little bit like playing a football match, uh, meaning that the students always, you think about footballers, I always say that, you know, to, to the teachers, that when you think about football, a footballer will always remember the football match when they played, you know, for the World Cup, etc. They will hardly ever will remember yeah. the coaching sessions. 
And that's a little bit what happens how I see the classroom. <laughs> I think my, I, I see myself as a coach. And obviously, my lessons are like the coaching. And obviously, my what I want students to be able to you know, to play the, in their football match. And for me, the football match, what better uh, you know, um, a, a opportunity than going to the country and putting into practice everything that we've been learning. That's the whole point of all of it. It's making the, uh, the subject alive. Uh, sometimes it's easier said, you know, than done. So one of the things that we, you know, we started doing that really worked before is embedding the curriculum to these uh, um, um, connections and partners that we had in France, in Germany, and in Spain, in my previous school. So for example, that's something as well we are, we're trying to do with the next school. With that, I mean that at the end of a unit, when the students have to finish the unit, instead of doing a test, instead of doing a, a unit test that you normally uh, do, the students will have to do something where they will have to communicate with the other students either in France, in Germany, or in Spain. So it could be a presentation through a Padlet. It could be ideally, you know, they could see each other using technology, using Google Meet, or something like that. But the idea is that they're, they're learning a, uh, um, the subject, they're learning a unit, so they will be able to communicate, and someone who is real, who is actually the same age as them, will be able to listen to them and to respond to what they're saying. That's super, super powerful. And that doesn't require like an exchange as such, it's just to develop in little steps, and then you can do those projects can become a little bit more elaborate with your partner schools, and eventually you can do like a physical exchange. But it's also very important as well to develop things with uh, with virtual exchanges. So, exchanges. so you, you break up a little bit of the awkwardness sometimes that you arrive there and you just yeah. haven't had the opportunity to meet your, um, uh, um, yes, your fellow students. And then you arrive there, you just need to stay in the houses. That can be my experience. That can be very, uh, uh, very nervous and awkward situations for the students. However, they've been com communicating yeah. through project-based learning and it's been embedded in the curriculum. They've seen each other. They know each other. So it's a little bit like taking the pen pal experience a little bit further and embedded in how we teach the curriculum. And for me, this is what has made the huge uh, the huge difference. It's not just an exchange that you do at the end of the year. It's something that you'll be working uh, towards uh, from day one. And that's what has really revived the love for exchanges in, uh, in my previous school when nobody wanted to do them, if that makes sense. I just wanted to add a little point there. That's all. No, I think I think that's a great point, and I think that's a really important point to make. Um, is that it is it, it's about building up the relationships. I think that's been the common theme from everybody um, over the last half an hour or so. Building up relationships between students um, in in the partner countries, between teachers in the partner countries, so that we can overcome that um, that not wanting to do it uh, in order to uh, in order to make sure our students understand exactly why these things are important. Um, now, of course, it is really difficult to organize a trip or an exchange these days. Um, as I mentioned when, when Declan was speaking earlier, in my school, um, we, we try every year. And some years we are more successful than others. And quite often the times that we find it difficult is because the amount of red tape that stands in the way. Uh, you know, Britain is a country of red tape. And for good reason, I will say, you know, the the idea behind getting 
um, homestay families CBR checked before we send our students out to them is is wonderful. It's great in theory. Um, much harder in practice if you're sending them out to countries where CBR checks don't exist. Um, so there are all kinds of, of issues that stand in the way of us um, organizing these trips and organizing these exchanges. So I was wondering if anybody had any experience of using, um, for example, the, the Turing scheme like Declan mentioned or the British Council or any kind of um, uh, corporation or institution to help them get an exchange up and running? Uh, yes, I mean, I can, the pro I, in the past, I've created really, we do have really wonderful uh, exchanges with the British Council and, of course, as well, you know, with Erasmus. Unfortunately, now they are not there anymore, you know, so Erasmus has gone. No. <laughs> but uh, the Global School Alliance uh, has proved very, very, uh, very good as well. And um, it's lovely to see that some of the people from the British Council have to move to work with this, uh, the Global School Alliance. And then for me, there's a little bit of guarantee. So that actually would help you to find not just a partner, but also to uh, um, organize the trip and to even uh, and as much uh, as much help as you want they also got some money as well sometimes some bursaries for some of the schools as well if it's, if it's needed so there's something definitely to check uh, you know to check out like a little bit of external uh, external help in the case of tps i mean we um, we need them and we need to have those checks yeah. but in the past we managed we were very lucky because we managed to get away from that because we used to have a form that our local authority in Cambridgeshire um, provide us. And that basically was just a form that both families from both sides, you know, had to uh, had to fill in, say how many adults would be okay. there, you know, the phone numbers, uh, how many rooms would they change, you know, would they have to share a bathroom, all of different, you know, uh, information. But it was it was done by both families, and it didn't involve. It was not something like a DBS because some of the things, uh, some of the families were like, "What am I coming?" Some some of the parents will be funny. Exactly. When you would say to yeah. them that you have, they need to be, you know, to have a, a DBS check. And our local authority was more than happy because we also had the, a letter from the uh, head teacher from Spain and from France and Germany saying that they knew as well these families and the basically they vote for them and they were absolutely, you know, you know, they were trustworthy. Plus, this little <laughs> document. So we didn't have to go through the DBS. I don't know many school how it will have to be, but I noticed that um, that was something that made our life so, so much easier as teachers. And the parents felt a little bit more at ease, the families as well. So that's just a little bit of, you know, of ideas there. No, that's that's really cool. And um, I hope if we've got any local authorities listening, um, you will kind of take that into consideration. Because I know that I, I'm not a parent, but I know that if I got a letter through from my child's school saying so-and-so from France is going to come and stay with you, but we need you to be police checked first. I would find that a little bit insulting. Um, you know, you would understand why, uh, of course, but I think it does, as Esme, as you said, it does kind of put into the, the parents' minds, oh, why, what have I done? Why can I not be trusted? Um, and, and that then leads to an extra barrier in terms of getting the, it, 
getting the exchange up and running. So I I think that was a little bit of the parents felt a little bit insulted as a word, you know, and also in the way, also in Spain as well and in in the other countries because they need it's like, what? Why do you think that we are third world countries? Why Britain has to be different? And, you know, that that kind of thing. Now, doing the form, that really, really is the process. So I would encourage people to get in touch with the local authorities and see if that is something that could apply to them and they were happy with something like that. Excellent. That's such a good tip. That's a really good tip. Thank you. Um, Declan. Yeah, I mean, there's most of the schools going on our visits are primary schools and the local authority guidance is basically that they're not allowed to have homestays when they go abroad. So okay. that they have to stay in hotels. But all of the schools who do go uh, do a pre-visit. So staff go, they literally do the entire journey from start to finish. They yeah. go to the hotels. They have a checklist from the local authority around, you know, what's um, appropriate in terms of safeguarding, ratios of staff, all that kind of thing. And they also then make a film of that and they'll share that with the parents and carers so everybody knows exactly what the trip will entail from from the minute they leave to the minute they get there and 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 stay there and then coming back as well but um the we we run monthly sessions with so with the local authority for all the schools who get funding for a visit we'll do special sessions we use the british council's toolkit which is really really good on planning an international visit and we've run sessions for schools um, specifically with British Council and with British Council ambassadors in the region, and that and that works, and it means that they're very very thorough. The visits are planned to within an inch of their lives, really, um, and it it takes that bit of hassle out of it. But the most difficult thing is most of our children won't have a passport or a visa. Yes. We've got children from all over the world in the school, so some of them need visas, some don't. And we also um, support refugees and asylum seekers to go abroad. That can be quite fraught. We've had incidents at airports where the local authorities had to go to the airport to explain that this child is allowed to leave and must be able to come back. And, oh, well, OK. And, that, and there's been a few incidents where, because they were unsure if they'd be let back in the country, that they didn't end up going. So they were actually at the airport. This was like in the first cheering um, round. Absolutely awful. But we know that now. So that we have a process and procedures to help them. So the local authority is absolutely brilliant on providing that support for the schools, for all the things around passports and visas. And also because our children are also deprived, we make sure that they apply for the exceptional costs. So they all have, it's it's great actually, they have, um, they'll have a school uh, t-shirt, a school sweatshirt, they have a backpack, a hat and luggage yep. that's all the same. And usually in some bright colour, they all seem to pick a different colour, orange or green. <laughs> or, so you can actually see them. Um, you can, yes. Really easy to spot. And it makes for fabulous photos as well. So they've all got, <laughs> you know, France 2023 or whatever it will, wherever Love they're it. going. Um, and that levels the playing field for these children. It's everything from like sun cream to, you know, um, <laughs> injections. It might be all sorts of different things. But yeah. we say to the schools, apply for what these children need. And we have a lot of children with special educational needs and disabilities who also we want them to be able to go on the trips as well. So the pre-visit is absolutely essential to ensure, you know, to check the food, to check Yes. everything um and we'll have children with allergies children with 
you know, who might have fits, all sorts of different things and, and making sure they've got the right ratio of staff support and that where they're located in the hotel, everything is checked. And that makes it easier. It gives the parents some confidence. It gives the children confidence. As I say, the preparation is ongoing for a whole year before a visit. And any any questions they have, we're there really to support them. And I don't know if that exists everywhere else, but we feel like it's necessary just to make sure that those children are safe and they can enjoy the trip and that the teachers aren't stressed beyond belief. And actually, the, some of the feedback from the teachers is amazing. They've said, it, one of them said it was the best education experience of their lives, taking a group of children abroad. And they didn't expect it to be because they were terrified. Yes. Um, and rightly yes. so. I think I would be terrified, to be honest. <laughs> I'm not a teacher. But, but it's exactly the opposite of what they thought because it is so well planned. But there's always yes. issues that come up. And where we've had some um, issues with the visas and things we actually get the consuls involved and get okay. them to write letters um sort of sort of say this person has you know has entry to france so the french consul has done that a few times and should be allowed back in the country you know because that's pretty yeah. it's pretty major it's a pretty major barrier absolutely so absolutely. it takes a lot of work and i think that's the thing i don't know if everywhere has the same kind of level of support that, that we I think you're amazing. Can I yeah. just, you just, just come in and say that you, your Go area is just so lucky to have someone, you know, an organization like yours providing all this support. Uh, I, I don't think it's the usual thing. That's my experience. Please, you know, tell me if I'm wrong. And I think that is absolutely. I think amazing. it probably used to be. I think the local authorities used to do this. Now the local authorities don't tend Not to have anymore. an international officer. Newcastle doesn't. So I'm the kind of international officer, but I don't work in the council. But I have to say, the school effectiveness team who are incredible one one woman in particular who's not on this call but is uh, Sarah Edgar she is the one who helps with all of these different issues and it's it's without her I don't think anybody would be going anywhere um, because that that level of support that is, is incredible. amazing she because over we, just, we, yeah. we are just so busy with everything that we have to do in our own lives that to, and then to organize a trip from scratch is a massive, massive event, especially when you're talking about. Yeah. Well, the other thing that might be of interest to, to some of the listeners is we also kind of group yeah. where the schools are going. So we have strategic links, I call them. So Nancy in France, that's a twin town. We've got really good connections there. And the children go and they get hosted in the town hall and all sorts of special treatment. We set up a link with Spain because we didn't have a link with Spain. So we set up a link through British Council with the region of Aragon in Spain. And we've got 17 new partnerships there. And we also link other schools outside our area with there because there's such a demand for links with the UK, which is quite unbelievable considering Brexit. But the school effectiveness team, the head of that department, actually sort of designated a, a member of staff who is a teacher with 30 years experience um, to work with me. And originally when we started, it was one day a week working on languages and international things. And now she's four days a week and she's probably going to be full time shortly um, just doing this. Um, and that is what makes a massive difference in Newcastle. So we're so, so lucky to have such a supportive local authority 
And as I say, the schools have confidence because they work through the council and with us. And I think that's that's the sort of the golden triangle, as it were, of the relationships. Yeah, I would say that support is so important because I, I was thinking as you were talking about um, particularly about pre-visits, because, you know, as the teacher, it is right that we go and do the pre-visit, um, but it's done in our own time, usually during holidays, you know, all these millions of holidays that we keep being told we're lucky to get. Um, and quite often, not completely at our own expense, but schools do struggle to fund them. Um, and so I think, you know, if there is if there are any organisation that can take not necessarily that part away, because as the teacher, you want it for your own peace of mind to know what the hotel yeah. looks like, to know where the market is. I think, you know, if somewhere else can take away some of the the red tape, some of the, the busy work, as much as I hate to say it, um, then it does kind of even the playing field a little bit. Well, just to say in Turing funding, our schools couldn't go without Turing funding. They just, you know, the parents can't afford it. The yeah. schools can't raise that amount of money. But if you are going for Turing, the, you only get a pre-visit if you have children with special educational needs and disabilities. So if you've got any of those in your cohort, it's a fully funded pre-visit and the teachers are funded to go with travel, accommodation. It's usually about three days and that is essential because it doesn't just help those with the special educational needs who are going it also helps everybody um and i think the teachers really really value it and if you think the teachers they may have met online but they've never met in person they haven't yeah. the place they don't know i mean i know one school was leaving at four o'clock in the morning and they did that journey they did these kind of crazy time scales to see if it would work i was thinking it was madness myself but that's what they wanted to do some will go on trains all the way through different countries it's oh, amazing and I was thinking, oh my god so there's a lot going on trains and the eurostar and there's lots of changes there uh, they go to paris and then they go out to and another train and another train huge long journeys um and and without the pre-visit i don't think the teachers would have the confidence to do it and the and the safeguarding checklist has to be done for the local authority to to kind of sign off really on these visits and make sure that it's all done to a standard that meets meets the needs of the children, and some have very very specific needs. But um, yeah, so if you do go for touring, I don't think people realise that you must have those send children to get the pre visit. But the pre visit is peace of mind and and good planning for everybody. Absolutely. So I think that's that's really important and that's really good to know. Um, Fiona. Yeah, I mean, I've got as the conversation's gone on, I've got a few things to come <laughs> in on. Um, but I was going to talk about DBS check because I did actually do that in um, in my, the last exchange I ran. So oh, I just okay. wanted to talk about my experience of that. I thought that might be helpful for people. Yes. Please. And also um, just some of the safeguarding aspects, really, and, and how to protect yourself as a teacher, because I think you know, the, the word support's been mentioned a lot. And I think I would definitely, I, I'm a kind of in, in two minds here. I mean, I've had a lot of things that have gone wrong on trips and really quite serious things and accidents. I've had Spanish children in hospital, flown the family over. I've had, I've had all, wow. all the things that happened to me. And I'm really happy to talk about those experiences and, and sort of, but I don't want to put people off at the same time. But sometimes <laughs> there's a, you know, it's like a fine line. But but I think because of all this, I, mean, I still love exchanges and I still take away the positives. But I did do some training in London a long, long time ago, and it was a very top level kind of course on safeguarding on exchanges. And it was 
there were some fairly senior people and the police were there. And I think the thing is that although, yes, it's red tape and although it's a pain, you know, ultimately some things can really go wrong. And, you know, there yes. were some absolute horror stories of things that had happened to children abroad. And, you know, in the end, you are in local parentis. And I don't think that's a reason to be put off. Like I have run, I can't even tell you how many trips and I would do it all again. But I think things have happened to me where I've I've learned the lessons and, you know, I'm happy to share some of those, but I'm aware I might put the fear of God in people. But, you know, and, and I think the first thing I would say is what Esmeralda said about the forums. You know, I think it's really important with your host school to be very explicit about what sort of information each family needs about the other family. And I think that can go a long way to mitigating some of these issues. But, you know, I've yeah. had a situation with a school in Germany where, they wanted all the students to go have names in a hat and they all had a fair opportunity. But a child with a very, very serious mental health issue participated, wasn't taking medication and then put my students in a position of danger. You know, really quite a serious situation where, you know, I think with hindsight, I think it's wonderful and laudable to want all children to go. But I've equally had a trip where I've taken British students who, you know, I asked for the school support in this and said, I'm not really keen on taking these children. And they went and it was a mistake and those children shouldn't have gone their behavior I was right my gut feeling was right I was like always go with your gut and I think it there a lot of those problems could have been avoided with really really effective communication either with the the exchange school on on the types of students that are suited to exchange and it's not about them coming from a certain family background it's just that you have to be realistic that you know there's a time and a place to involve everyone and you know if you have any doubts about a child or a family and go with your gut feeling. I mean, I've had a Spanish child stealing from a host family. Now the Spanish school were horrified, could never have predicted he would have done that. I think it was a stress reaction to his circumstances, but we obviously had to deal with that. It still ended up peacefully where we, you know, sorted the problem out. And um, we had a lovely party then for all the families and the family who had been impacted by this still came along and shared food. So you can overcome these things, but um, with the DBS checks, my feeling is that although I saw it as a massive amount of red tape, I ultimately thought, well, this is giving me some peace of mind that I'm bringing these Spanish children into a home. But, you know, you have to be aware of the time that it takes. I mean, everybody over 16 in that family has to have a check. But I would say that meet with your parents. I think it can come across as very cold in an email. Um, and I understand why parents might think, why are you doing this? But I think if you can really get those relationships with parents going from the beginning and explain to them that it's not because you have any doubts about the safety of their family home, it is purely a check it's a it's a yeah. something to have in place and if you think about it it's for your own protection as the member of staff running it and what I would say though is that if there's any way the school can give you admin support then beg for it because I regretted this because I had to physically photocopy all of these checks mm -hmm. um, and it, it does take time and you need to allow a long time for it I mean I'd also say things like just I'm um, apologize if I'm preaching to the converted I'm sure lots of you here will have been very experienced and taken many visits but you know photocopy all the kids documents and passports because you don't know what's going to happen I've taken multiple children to hospital from as minor things as a whiplash injury on dodgems at a fairground in Spain um, to you know a really serious you know some really serious situations where a child had appendicitis um, and I had to fly over his family from Spain to be with him for emergency surgery you know so don't be put off because it worked and it was all fine. But the reason you have this paperwork in place, um, one of my children I took to Spain, um, put his, his mum put his passport in his, which was in his jeans pocket in the wash. And we had to go to the Spanish oh, no. embassy because the entire passport was destroyed. So, you know, take a copy of everything 
and just be have a contingency plan it's not just down to you it's down to your slt there will be someone who is a designate who has a designated responsibility for trips there should be forms to fill in with the local authority but always sense check everything twice because the local authority told me that i was fine with the ratios i had and easyjet had other ideas and we got into really serious trouble at the airport because oh, wow. they insisted we were one over and and the local authority had approved the trip so get the school to book the flights you get them to take the responsibility they have finance departments to do that you know, and I know it's work for schools, but if they want you to run these exchange trips, you shouldn't have to carry this full responsibility yourself. I've also had a situation where kids took luggage out, Ryanair didn't say a word. And then on the way back, they weighed all the bags and told me they were over and I had to pay it myself on my yeah. own credit card and then get the, the money back from parents. So, you know, things like simple stuff like that, it's like weighing the kids' luggage, telling parents what the weight is, telling them there are no... There's no way around that. Making sure the school have a contingency plan for a serious accident. So I had a child very seriously injured and needed to have provisions made quickly and probably would have ideally had a member of SLT fly out to be with me and support me. So these things like no schools can preempt these things exactly. But I think it's just good to have those conversations. That's what, you know, I've been there late at night crying over my risk assessment, thinking, why am I doing this? But now I completely get it. As a young teacher, I would have been like, oh, DBS jokes. Oh, But, you know, I have been in pretty much all of those situations where the reason (laughs) you do that risk assessment is to think through you know, who's my point of contact for SLT? Would they be able to fly out if I really, really needed them? If I have to fly a child's family from Spain? But, you know, I've always been on loads of trips and, and the majority of kids, there's been no problems. But, you know, kids do get ill. And usually yeah. family, you know, with this kid with appendicitis, I was quite a young teacher and he was complaining of a sore stomach. And I went, oh, he's homesick. He's not used to the food. And the host mom phoned me late on Sunday night and said, I'm really not happy. I really think we should go to Avaris. And I was going well, don't worry, but I said, no, go with your gut. And she was absolutely on the money and he needed emergency surgery. So you do have other support, you know, use your host families, use your SLT, um, do the risk assessment in detail, get your local authority to help you. They have performers. You know, I don't want anyone to listen to this and have the fear of God and not do it because it's worth it all. But ultimately protect yourself because you can end up in situations where you have to make quick decisions and, you know, pick your team wisely who go with you because they don't have to have language skills. They just need common sense and ability to think on their feet and under pressure. And they are your biggest support. I mean, I've taken incredible staff on trips who've dealt with all of these scenarios with good grace. But, you know, don't be afraid to not take a child if your gut feeling tells you their behavior, that they're not up to it. Don't be afraid to say no to SLT if they're saying you need to book these flights yourself. You know, get the help. If touring can help you, if Global Alliance, the British Council can support you, it takes a village, you know, to raise a child. Yeah. It takes a village to organise a trip and an exchange. And <laughs> it's completely worth it. But I would just say if you're worried about red tape, think about what it's there for. It's there for your own protection and it's a massive responsibility. And as long as you get support with the admin, it is it is definitely, definitely worth it, you know. And I've done pre-visits, but I had a, a Spanish tour company paid for me and my husband to go to a pretty rubbish oh, resort in, in Spain, to be fair. But we got to go there in October and try it out before I went with kids. I've a sp- wonderful Spanish families have hosted me when I was very quite pregnant, actually, and flew out for a weekend <laughs> to do it because I wouldn't have wanted to do that with, you know, 20 kids in tow. I wanted to check it out for myself and they looked after me royally. So... I know it's a lot and I've given up holiday time, but 
I've the, the the friendships and the amazing experiences I've had in Spain and Germany and lifelong friendships actually with some of these teachers have made all of the disasters worthwhile. But I would definitely think through all these things because things do go wrong and that's what the paperwork's there for. It's not for when things go well, it's for when things go wrong and you'll be glad that you've got it, believe me. No, absolutely. absolutely. I think, you know, to be in a position where we can complain about red tape is very privileged because it means that we haven't had to use it. Um, yeah. and, and I think you're absolutely right. I, I, I will say, I was thinking about this when you mentioned SLT. Uh, my school, as part of our trips and visits policy, it is necessary to take a member of SLT or a senior member of the teaching staff with us on any residential trips. Um, so that might be worth thinking about if you're That's organizing one. And, yeah, yeah if, if you need another member of staff, then then approach your SLT, see if they want to come on a, on a jolly, as everybody thinks it is before <laughs> they actually go. Then they um, learn that it's really not. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. But but that way you've got the, the SLT support there with you the whole way through. Um, and and I know from things that my colleagues have said that it can be invaluable. Yeah. And I definitely think if that's not possible, make sure that you have got a designated person who is literally available 24 hours. Because, you know, if you're taking a child into hospital who's had an accident, it's not likely to be in civilized hours. It's only happened to me yeah. twice. But, you know, each time I absolutely needed that that person to be at the end of a phone call so just be really sure that that SLT understands that when you're abroad it's a 24-7 gig I mean we've taken head teachers out on in exchanges though and they've been sitting in the bar in the Spanish school quite happy and thinking it is <laughs> a bit of a jolly right. <laughs> but um but you know definitely get SLT very aware of of why they should be doing it how amazing it is but that it is a big responsibility and if you can let them go in term time 100% try and do that because I've yeah. given a, I've I've done it in holidays and you just end up where you're not fit for anything when you get back and even if you can do a 50-50 compromise I think that's well worth doing so that you've got some holiday time um you know maybe like touring they will provide some support with cover because it's cover that's the barrier to this that's why schools can't let you out you know um in term time but I think just keep you just have to keep fighting and keep asking the questions because when the school get those amazing photos and those amazing stories and do assemblies so that they can see that it's all worthwhile. And even if you only take 10, 15 kids, it's still worthwhile because it spreads, you know, it's like magic um, and their friends will get involved and come out on some of the trips and with you sometimes, you know, when I ran the parties at the end of the exchange, we'd get kids who hadn't been able to go, but still got involved. So it's all worth it. But I think support is is absolutely critical. 100%. 100 percent um Karine, you had raised your hand a little while ago did you want to add something um i can't remember what i wanted to say to be honest um <laughs> no it's great I isn't it we're also chatty i love it i think i think the question was um about um using uh institute like organizations but what i've done yeah. in the past in order to kind of try to give students the opportunity to kind of mix with uh, students whilst not being on the neck change just to try to go around the red tape I kind of try to organize it like during the day they would be with students in France for example but then at night they would be in a hotel so trying to kind of go around the red tape of staying over in a family so 
you know, I've organized a few times for students to spend a few days in a in a French school. So they would communicate beforehand with the with the students of their age. So then they would follow them for a few days uh, in the school, join the school, you know, go to the canteen and all do that. And then after school, you know, go out with the with the students. But at night we would just um, go back in the hotel. So I think that gave the, the parents um, some kind of there were some reassurance that they wouldn't stay in, a, in in another family, but also to kind of to reduce the amount of red tape we had to do. And uh, also, what I have done in the past is organised some kind of work experience as well. But again, it was staying in a uh, in a hotel at night with teachers, and during the day, uh, there would be students going into um, different. Um, uh, businesses uh, with a teacher there and it could be like a library a museum um, you know a town hall and they would yeah. do some work experience but it was it, it was kind of half exchanges half visit but it gave the students the opportunity to mix with the locals or with the students without um, the group around them so just to be one-to-one -one with the students because when you go on a visit they tend to kind of speak English among themselves because they're all together but um, for that, you know, it was very useful also for the students when they spend time in a school, they could see what was different, uh, what was the same, and then they were mixing them, you know, making friendships with the students. But as I said, um, the parents would be kind of reassured that at night it would be in a hotel with us. So it was one way around of trying to avoid the red type and to minimise the amount of paperwork that we had to do. And 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 it gave the students, a, 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 I mean, they had a great impact on their understanding of French culture, but for teenagers and, you know, doing things, going into school that, you know, what we teach them, in, you know, at school is kind of real, you know, that they don't have a uniform and they do this and they do that. So it was real for them. So sometimes it's finding way around all these um, forms and you know, trying to organize. I know it takes a lot of time to organize things uh, from scratch, but sometimes it might be around way, uh, one way around it you know to do that and you know as I said over the years I've been teaching you know over 20 years I've, I've organized uh, many many trips as well and uh, these were the most successful because they were able to you know discover the culture but also mix with um, either um, students of their own of their own age but also all working in um, businesses but also visit uh, the area so not just about cultural visits but also as they're mixing with the local the locals and that, that was very um you know very beneficial for the students that's what i just wanted to say <laughs> no that's that's really interesting and, and and very very true um i like the fact that we are exploring lots of different ideas lots of different concepts about what an exchange can look like um and and what the students can do because of course the more ideas we have about these things the more we can put together a program that is perfect for our students for our setting um, which in turn can can minimise the stress that we're under when we're organising it. So, no, that was really good. Thank you. Um, Declan, you were next. Yeah, I was just going to bring up another, it's a challenge and an opportunity, I would say. Uh, oh, love it. We ran into in our first uh, set of international visits, and that was around uh, Muslim children and uh, Catholic children going to France. And the, uh -huh. the fact that France is secular, that you're not allowed to wear the hijab or headscarves in all religious symbols in the school. And that was going to be quite an issue for some of the families, as well as making sure that they understood the need for halal food or kosher food. 
and and things like that so that that took some um some work with the families and working with the schools but obviously they weren't allowed to to wear those things um but on the reverse of that where we had children going to turkey this year they obviously have to wear a headscarf if they're going into a mosque uh, they have to yeah. be covered all the rest of it so they did some fantastic work leading up to it in terms of a lot of the schools will talk about the religion, the faith, the customs and the traditions of that of that society. And they'll do work with the other school on that. So they they really understand it and they'll introduce the food as well. They'll either go out to a local restaurant to look at the food, try the food or they will have um, they have the Turkish community come in and have a whole day of Turkish customs and food um, in that instance. <laughs> And when they went to uh, when they went to Istanbul, the children absolutely loved going into the mosque. And there was um, they went into lots of mosques. And uh, they there was one girl. She had six different headscarves, different colours to match, or different. Oh, amazing! Was there, you know, and they actually understood what they were going into and how to behave and everything else, because we have mosques and gurdwaras and synagogues in our city, and they can go and visit that in advance, as well as learning about it and talking to the children in the other countries about why they eat what they do, why they dress how they do. Um, and and it's, an issue, it's an issue you can avoid by doing that advanced preparation uh, and just being very, very clear on what those customs and traditions are in the place that you're going to. And I think um, it, it did come up early on, luckily, before before the visits of so those first visits that we did in, that actually happened in 2022 but something to bear in mind because uh, every country is different um, and there will be yeah. a mix of faiths and traditions that you do need to respect the culture that you go into and have it have some kind of understanding but that means that those children they're really getting that kind of global citizenship type education and they really um have a much better understanding of of the cultures abroad but also those cultures that exist within their own school um yeah. and so it it has many many benefits but it's just to flag up for for people who uh, maybe organise and visits where that's going to be an element. No, I think that's really important. And I think that will be a really nice way to encourage parental engagement again, to build up the um, the relationships with the parents before you go, get them in to do little workshops on what it means to visit a mosque and, you know, help to broaden the horizons of some of the parents that we have, um, help with the parental cultural capital as well as the, uh, the students. Um, I think that's yeah. really good. I think that's really important. Uh, Esme. Uh, hi. Uh, I just would like to say oh. as well that if, you know, anyone is listening and they are a little bit overcome by, any, by the idea of um, organizing an exchange, remember as well, it can be done virtually. And one of the yes. things that we started doing because of COVID and then we carried on doing it after COVID culminated in a physical exchange was doing an exchange virtually where the students would be for a couple of hours for two days off timetable so that was something obviously that we had to talk to with you know with the SM team and they would be uh, doing something in common working in uh, in groups using um, Google Meets and we had the students you know with was this was basically a project that we did with people pupils in La Reunion in Spain and in England, and they were working two children from La Reunion together with two children from Spain, two children in 
in the UK and we prepared some activities. They have to ask each other some questions. They have to do some games and play some games together. And all that was done virtually. And that will take off a lot of the pressure as well from the point of view of, of a teacher. When you're very busy and you think, you know, you're a little bit scared or you think that you don't have the support maybe, you know, to carry on a full scale exchange. And the other thing I would say as well is about bringing languages outside the classroom. That was one of the motors. And it's not just about exchanges. It's what can you do as MFL to really raise the profile of languages in your school. So things, for yeah. example, that when you finish a little unit, can the children do a little bit of like a thing, you know, like a drama sketch? Can they perform it for the whole school and assembly? Can you record it and then send it, you know, to, you know, to the parents as a QR code so they can see the children in action speaking? Uh, it's about can you have a debate, you know, in your classroom, like a debate competition, spelling, competition and you involve the parents can you have an international week can you have a lunch you know an mfl lunch and especially if all these you get all the students or language leaders that we used to have which is still is, is a qualification that you can get with roots into languages and um, so some of the language leaders in year 10 would actually organize some of these events. So not everything is about an exchange, which I think is beautiful, is wonderful. I obviously I love it. I've done it. But it can be a little bit probably a bit too much. You don't think you don't have you know the you know the support. So what else can you do? And how can you embed these cultural elements in whatever you do in everyday in everyday uh, life? And for me that's what we are working at the moment. That at the end of a unit for in key stage three, the students are not going to have an end uh, a unit test. They will have to do something for the partner schools, and I think that I, I think that will really be a powerful message of a life skill and to make it. You know, it's about creating sticky lessons, and it's not just with retrieval practice, but sticky lessons with uh, live experiences in the classroom as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's somebody who makes no secret of the fact that um, he loved teaching online during lockdown and all the new stuff that the pandemic brought into education. Um, I agree completely that, you know, it isn't just about in-person exchanges. It is about doing everything we can to expose our children to the culture of our target language countries. And um, I think, you know, using using the whole Internet is the perfect way for us to do that, which I will come back to in a second um, after Rebecca and Fiona have told me what they have to say. Hi, so I just wanted to echo what Esmeralda was saying about the importance of raising the profile of, of languages within school. And I think, you know, some people who might be listening might be in the very early stages of raising that profile of languages in their school and trips and exchanges might be a, a very distant dream at the moment to be able to be ready for that. So to know that actually yeah. engaging with, you know, start in September with European Day of Languages, make it European Week of Languages if you want to, go further with the extra projects, all those things that Roots into Languages, for example, do that Esmeralda mentioned, is so important. And not to 
not to think of those as add-ons. They are a really important and really useful way of, of raising that profile of languages to then help you grow towards trips and the eventual exchanges as well. So start, you know, start small. You don't have to, to run before you can walk because just for newer teachers listening, I know there's many listening who, who are very experienced, but for newer teachers listening, some of what they've heard might be really overwhelming and actually start at the beginning, uh, build that profile, build the reputation of languages and, and it'll go from there. Yeah, I love that. I love that. I think if if any of us are going to take away anything from this show, it should be exactly that message. And I think even for very experienced teachers like us, um, it's important to remember that it is about building the profile of languages you know, even if languages are well embedded at your school, don't be complacent about it. Um, you know, keep raising the profile, keep doing new and interesting things to keep yourself as the teacher um, engaged and interested as as much as the students. Uh, Fiona? Yeah, I was just going to echo that really about the idea of stop smart, starting small, because I don't really don't want to put people off, you know, with what I said before, which was there was some fairly big things in there. And I think it doesn't just have to be the languages that, you know, you might be teaching because although I'm a, a, um, a Spanish specialist, I've also taught German to level and French. I was responsible for coordinating visits in a school I was in. And we had an amazing Japanese group who came every year who were just absolutely phenomenal and did a kabuki play and they performed it in English. Oh, wow. And we got the whole year nine to come along. So it was because you don't want this to be an elitist thing because it is a certain type of family who will put you know, their child forward for an exchange. And that's why it's so refreshing to hear about the international Newcastle because it's allowing all students to do it. But we let all these students come. Now, some of them weren't maybe the best behaved students, um, but we, you know, that is a contained environment where we could have them there. And they all got that's... something out of it because they were blown away by these Japanese kids. They couldn't believe they'd done this whole play for us in English and it was beautiful. And they brought all the props with them from Japan. You know, so I wouldn't necessarily take a child with very challenging behaviour on an exchange trip or visit, as I've explained. But you can involve all students in something like that. And the buzz around the school, you know, I had Swedish groups and, you know, the kids were all interested. Like, who are these people and why are they here? And you're saying, well, they've come to see our school because they want to see what we're doing. You know, I think that's really powerful. And if you don't feel up to that either, because that's also a lot of work. You know, we're talking about getting languages outside the classroom where there's some really simple ways you can do that. And it's not on this level. But, you know, if I teach directions, because I hate teaching directions personally, I find it very, very dull. Um, I always got them to take chairs outside and we set up a, a mock town just with chairs and using the goalposts and got them to physically walk around and direct each other. You know, there was usually someone hiding behind the goal goalposts having a little snooze but it was good and it got other you know I'm not saying your school might not allow you to do that but you know in the summer term they might let your 10 go and do that and other kids were like what are they doing oh they're learning directions in Spanish and you know or try and get someone if get someone in the P department to let you come and take over a lesson in Spanish with like a whole class even the ones that yep. are not keen linguists doing all of the football match with Spanish instructions like goal and you know counting or you know I've had a class who were really not that motivated who, who loved ukuleles and we took them outside the classroom filmed this ridiculous grammar song with ukuleles it was very silly with banners filmed the whole thing so it could be shown in assembly because they didn't want to perform it in assembly but I wanted to send it to SLT and say look this is what we're doing in languages we're getting them outside the classroom we're doing exciting things you know get them to make a recipe at home try and get them in food tech to get on board with you and let them do some cooking and then see if the canteen will get on board and let you do sort of a Mandarin themed lunch or a Spanish themed lunch because the canteens that I've worked with you know they're really embracing of stuff like that they're often run by 
you know, external providers who are really, really keen to get involved and help you. And they've helped me plan menus and, you know, we've got the flags up. And I think it doesn't really matter what you do. It doesn't matter what your capabilities are or how much time you've got. All of those events will have been memorable for one of those children, whether it was a child who watched that Japanese student perform a play or the child who played a ukulele as part of Spanish. And, you know, it doesn't really matter. It's about making them see languages as a really positive thing. And if you can't get them abroad, you mustn't think that there is no other way to do it because there are lots and lots of things you can do. And I agree with the idea of virtual exchanges because, you know, when I started teaching, you couldn't do any of that. You couldn't hook up schools in apart from you know taking them there but you can now and it's it can seem really off-putting but there will always be someone keen in your school who and they don't have to be someone from the language department the language department are often very very stretched so get other people involved get a keen being in the geography department get someone in the food tech department you know to work with you on it and help you and support you so you know you've got you know back to support again but don't try and do it all yourself because I often have and you can't so you know, you need everybody to get involved and make it like a whole school thing. You know, that's what, what this is all about, really, I think. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I just want to pick up very quickly, uh, and then Karina, I will come to you, um, about the cross-curricular. Because back when I was a primary teacher, so I taught, um, I was the PMFL lead. I taught French and Japanese reception to year six, and I was a year six class share teacher. Um, and I used to hate teaching PE. Um, I'm no, I was no good at it. Um, I had to pretend that I understood all of these rules and teach them to my 11-year-olds who knew much more about the sports than I did. But one of the things I was able to do was to teach PE in French um, completely. There was no English in my PE lessons at all. And so because the students pretty much understood the rules of the game that I was teaching them anyway... Um, they could, as I was speaking French to them, they could pick up what I was saying. They could respond to my instructions. And there was all of that kind of background, um, immersive teaching and immersive learning going on. So I think if you are a particular primary teacher and you are confident enough in your foreign language, you know, if if you are the PMFL specialist because you lived in Spain, because your degree is in Mandarin, whatever it might be, um, lead your lessons in, in other subjects in your target language. Don't just wait for your 30 minute MFL lesson um, because it's amazing what your students will pick up and it's amazing what your students will follow, even if you're a bit worried to do that. Um, Karine. Yeah, I just wanted to carry on on how to raise the uh, profile of languages. Um, at the school I was at before, I was um, head of languages, so I had to do quite a lot of things to promote languages. And the borough I was in, they organised um, something called a Teach Your Friend a Language. I don't know whether some of you have heard about um, that scheme, but it was it was a very good incentive to because obviously. You know, we've got to to use our students' uh, languages, and you know, we've got to kind of um, work on that. And uh, basically, um, a student who would speak another language at home would, you know, would choose a friend, and they would have a put. I don't know. I can't remember how many weeks they had to uh, to do to to prepare like a conversation, and then they, we would take them to a school that would organise that um, festival of teacher friend language, and uh, they would then perform their little 
conversation. And then they would also uh, prepare a little table to display the, the language they, they'd been learning. So it could have been Turkish, it, uh, Turkish could have been, you know, um, Spanish, whatever uh, that student would speak. So based on that, um, then what I did within my school uh, we would do the same. So, um, so instead of taking part in that big festival, you know, we would do it without school, and uh, our students would then choose either a teacher or another friend. And then um, at the end of the year, um, we would do teacher friend or teacher teacher language. And then again, they would do uh, they would perform a little conversation, and then they would display something about the country. And then later on, we also took that a teacher form a language. So someone in the form who would teach a who would or would um, speak another language would would work so i'd work uh, i'd um spoken with slt we'd um we'd agree that you know for how many weeks um in form time they would do teach your former language so so uh, it would be over four or five weeks and then the the, the student who would speak another language would teach the form uh, their language so they would present like numbers or greetings or something like this so that that worked quite well and so that was that was um quite successful so just to use the resources within the school of students speaking in other languages. Um, another thing that I did as well was in in trying to involve sixth formers uh, into helping other uh, students. So, for example, sixth formers who would do French, maths and history, for example, then I would ask uh, sixth formers to maybe teach year seven at lunchtime a bit of maths in uh, in French or German or Italian, whatever the language they would do. So that would work as well. So towards the end of, of the year, uh, that would be at lunchtime, uh, students would sign up and they would say, yeah, I'd like to teach a bit of maths in, in whatever. So they would just prepare that. Um, and then again, it's just using not just us as teachers, but using other students as well to just to, to share their their interest in languages, but also to share what they know. And, and I think that's very uh, useful as well to do that, not just about teachers to, to students, but students to students as well is very important. So just using what we've got within the school and see what we can use to, to promote languages. Um, yeah, that's just a few things here I just wanted to share. No, those are all really, really good ideas. I, I, I like that very much. Um, I think it's important to get our students on board um, and to get our students um, showing each other why languages are important. But that's my opinion. Um, Vicky and Alicia, are you still here? I'm still here. Hello, Vicky. Um, I was going to ask your opinion, if you don't mind, and I understand that one of your teachers is here, so you have to be nice. Um, but as, I'm not going as... to listen. <laughs> <laughs> um, as a student, do you think that when language teachers ask you to get involved with things like European Day of Languages or talking to, to other students about the importance of languages, do you think that that does actually have an impact? Do you think that's a positive thing to do? Um, yeah, I definitely agree. Um, while I was in year 12, I got to be a French prefect, which allowed me to go into the year sevens classrooms and help with doing the um, speaking test and help with teaching, give support in class. And I really saw a difference with the um, young girls that I worked with, um, with their French and coming along and their confidence in their speaking exams from at the start where they were all like nervous and didn't quite know what to say <laughs> up when they were a bit more confident and they spoke in French entirely because we do French and Italian at my school. So some of them were doing a bit of Italian, a bit of French, but um, nice. it was nice to see their confidence grow and then 
yeah I think in and then in year 13 I was able to give support to my own class by being a grammar captain so I'd make powerpoints and slides for our class to be able to review our points of grammar which can then be passed on to the um, coming up years which was quite interesting and helpful as well. Excellent I like that a lot and and did you feel that that helped to improve your language skills as well? Definitely it helped me to be a little bit more confident as well around like speaking in front of people and like especially in French because that can be quite nerve-wracking because it's a whole different language. (laughs) Absolutely absolutely thank you thank you. Uh, Fiona? Yeah I was going to talk a little bit about students and then I also was just going to mention in case I forget about outside speakers um, Mm and I think we're probably going to come on to this later but I was going to talk about when Esmeralda said about language leaders I never got the chance to do it because pesky pandemic went in the way but there, there is a brilliant um, scheme that you can, it's a recognised scheme. You can have language leaders in, in sorry, p- leaders in, in PE, but they do do a scheme. Well, our local authority did for um, for language leaders and it was the perfect okay. thing for year 10 to help with primary schools because I had quite active links. I think we will come on to that later with the local primary and we wanted to get the primary school children on site, you know, after like an after school club. Um, doing kind of language-based activities and then get the year 10s to help and I would say that you know if I know you'll all be aware of this but when you have open evenings and things it's so critical to get your really good keen beans in the language department involved because it's the students who sell it to the other students and to the parents and they're just like a massive resource and you know running clubs at lunchtime can be tricky but sometimes the kids are really happy just to have some computers to go on LinguaScope you don't have to be doing amazing stuff I mean I've done all sorts when I was young and keen and did a kind of newspaper <laughs> in the foreign language well you know all sorts and um, but you know that's where your keen six formers can be you know really helpful or kids that are doing DAV they have to do a service award you know I know my son helped at Code Club with year seven and eight so get them to do it for for languages you know when when you find out they're recruiting DAV like often schools will get whole year groups doing DAV now like the whole of yes. year nine or year ten so do an active recruitment drive and say right if you want your service award and you know you could say that they'll be given you know like croissants or you know they'll be fed for their efforts but get them oh, to come and run good. a club that always works doesn't it get them to run a club you know to to help support you with that even if it's just you know you're sitting having your lunch catching up on paperwork and planning while they're effectively running around and helping them and whatever it is you plan to do that that was just the thing I wanted to mention but also about outside speakers that even if your school don't have the money which is understandable in the current times to invest in you know perhaps you know funding students to go on trips you know there's a lot of information on secondary MFL matters about um outside speakers that are good if you if you follow some of the threads you know there's flamenco groups that will come in and perform or French plays or there's some fabulous people who've got who are who talk about football football and languages that come in and visit so I would definitely encourage you know to find all that out because if you go in some of the threads people will talk about their specific areas and we've got a little bit of budget has anyone know anything good in the northeast for this you know there's some places where they'll organize like food events or they can go somewhere and do tasting of French food um so I definitely think that outside speakers is a big resource I mean we were able to get GCHQ in because we're a Cheltenham school and at the time and you know, we had the kids were able to be taught Farsi or, you know, they'll say, do you want to do Korean? And they'll speak to you about their experiences. And then you can involve a few more students than just a very small niche group because you can, you know, that maybe have sense. it in the assembly hall. So I think definitely, definitely get anybody you know who's got any links who will come in and, and talk to students about 
languages outside the classroom and the, the careers they've gone on to have in languages. I think we mentioned this in cultural capital, but it's definitely something to, to bear in mind. Absolutely, absolutely. Because it, it's like we said back at the beginning, it's all about um, showing our students that it's a big wide world out there and languages are all over it. And so, you know, what can they do with them? Why are they important? Uh, Declan. Yeah, just picking up on that really, um, transition between primary and secondary is a huge issue in Newcastle and we want to try and encourage the links between the secondary uh, language staff and teachers um, and students and the primary. So with the, not just with the international visits, but there was one example recently where a school that was going to Rome, the secondary uh, teacher who taught Italian and some students went in and did a whole session with the primary school that was going to Rome about Italian okay. culture and taught them some language, which was brilliant. And we wanted to sort of do more of that. But our university, Newcastle University, has a language resource centre and they, their staff and students actually run free language and culture sessions for any schools. And sometimes just the schools don't know that that's an opportunity. So yeah. they'll go in and they'll do sessions and they'll have international students. And we also have international student volunteers who do loads of work in the schools now and they're from all over the world. And it's absolutely fantastic. That's working really, really well and organised through the local authority and funded by them, actually, that project. But I've put, I, I agree about uh, sport as well. We had, through the Festival of Languages, we had a school, a primary school interviewing the Cassie United Foundation staff who were all sort of multilingual and they were absolutely blown away. You know, it was very, very inspiring. And we want to actually involve the football club and the other sports clubs in getting, you know, sessions, face-to-face -face sessions with with young people. But there's also things like um, Welcome to the Arab World, which the British Council and the Qatar Foundation International, they run that and they'll come and do that. They did a session for 300 pupils. Uh, we did oh, wow. secondary, Yeah, as part of the Festival of Languages. So we organised it, but they do, they do actually run that around the country. So you, can ju you just need to ask. There's so many resources through British Council. And the other thing, I've put a couple of links in the in the um, in in the tweets about Enact and Lingua Cuisine, and these are fantastic. These are sort of European-funded projects that Newcastle University is involved in, and it, it's a free app. They're both free apps, and Enact is kind of cultural activities from around the world. So different people add an activity, and you can make something, or and you learn it all around around that topic. Could be the Chinese dress, or it could be, you know, um, it was t shadow puppets, uh, origami, Japanese, all sorts of things. And these are there, and they're free, and they're on the App Store. Uh, there's Android, and there's, you know, um, iPhones uh, apps yeah. for them. And lingua cuisine, and they in involve learning bits of the language all the way through as well. And you can add your own cultural activities to that. Oh well. wow. Um, and lingua cuisine is the same, but for food. And so there's lots of recipes and there's videos on how to make things. And it's, you know, set up to run as a lesson. So these are just brilliant things that that are there. You know, they're <laughs> there and they're free. There's one thing that we also introduce. We do mother tongue, other tongue, which is in most regions in the UK. Um, the lead is Manchester Metropolitan University, and that's um, about writing in different languages, a language you're learning or a language um, that is your home language. And that has been 
a brilliant, brilliant project where the children sort of write about their experiences, their feelings, they write poetry. It's really, really a fantastic project. And that is also there. And um, we do a festival song each year. So this we get a song and then we get people to translate the song. Record oh, the song. excellent. And then we actually work through the music services to actually then help the schools you know, they, they, there's the musical arrangements are all done and everything like that. And and then the schools can sing the songs in any language they want, basically. So that is a great... We're trying to get them to do that with their international partners as well, so they're teaching each other the language. And I think learning languages through music is one of the best ways to really infuse children and young people. So we've picked a great song for next year. And we're actually now working with Churanga, which is national platform that's in most of our schools. And they've agreed to let us use the song and the rights. And they have all the resources okay. for the song. We just need to provide the translations, which we're doing. We're just gathering those now. So there's lots of ways to do things, of things that exist, you know, and to make it fun. And I think that's really important. And when and then actually to add the extra value is to to do that with your partner schools in other countries as well virtually um it's a great way to to build that rapport and and get them infused about the language absolutely that's that's so exciting and i think that can you've hit the nail on the head there because there are so many things that exist and it's one of the reasons i have loved doing these these shows for pearson because i've we've had so many great guests so many people come on and and talk about things that i didn't know existed and I think, you know, building up relationships between teachers, both uh, between the UK and abroad and within the UK is really important because we all know about things that we start to take for granted that other people might not have ever heard of before. Um, and so I think it's really good to share these ideas. Um, Esme. Oh, 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 sorry, I was just going to give a shout out for the European Council for Modern Languages. Uh, they've got loads of free ECML. They've got lots of free... Um, things that you can use in school and the one I really love is the secret agent language challenge app so it's an app yes. that you can download the handbook there's 51 tasks and it's about any language really and I absolutely love it so they've got to kind of find out how do you say I love you in however many languages <laughs> and including sign language all sorts of different things going from really simple challenges to to more difficult ones and they've also got a booklet called Laura's Language Journey Through Europe, which has, I think it covers about 30 different languages. The booklet's available in lots of languages. There's little QR codes where you can hear facts about the language and learn, like the, hear the pronunciation. Just fantastic free resources. And, and then you've got all the, the Spanish Embassy, uh, Goethe Institute and the Institute Francais resources. There's so much brilliant stuff out there now. And it, it is free. It's just about knowing about it and, yeah. um, you know, using it, I think. Absolutely. absolutely. Because it's such a shame for these things to be out there and to exist and for us to just kind of be blind to them. Well, we use our festival as well as doing very specific projects within the festival. We use it to kind of raise awareness of some of the free resources that are out there. And uh, that seems to work quite well. I love that. That's That's a really good idea. That's a really good idea. Um, Esme. Hi. Uh, I mean, I love this idea. So this is just absolutely fantastic. I just wanted to, to share again. Uh, I mentioned about um, having language leaders, and that really worked really yeah. well in our school because these leaders would go to primary schools. We're talking about transition, 
and they would teach lessons to the year sixes and the year fives and the year fours. And uh, it was fantastic for the leadership skills. It's something that they, they included in the UCAS application. And they get a qualification, well, they get like a little certificate from Roots into Languages. And you can do it any year nice. you want to, but we chose to do it in year 10. And actually, it, it, we made a very big fuss about it. So the students had to apply to be a language ambassador or language leader. And they had to, yes, they applied for it. We took the, you know, the application form. We chose it. They had to pitch why would they be a good language leader. They would pitch in, in the assembly. So it was a really good um, way to get not just democracy and all the values and all the things, you know, for, for, um, um, for Britain. It was absolutely fantastic as well, British values. But at the same time, to raise the profile of languages. And in, the only requirement, actually, to become a language leader and to get the qualification for roots into languages is to teach. I, I think it was just two lessons per year. But we made it more because the students loved it. So one of the things they used to do is to go to the primary schools and read in the target language aloud at, um, a little bit, you know, uh, a story. And that was that was oh, really, really, really powerful. And the students could follow the story because it used to give us the stories that they really knew in English. And there was the big books that they used in primary school, but we used to get them in French, in German, and in Spanish. And that was just the year 10s. And they remembered all this all the way through a uh, year um, and through a uh, uh, level, basically. And the, that was very powerful yeah. for them. I would also uh, encourage as well to, to think about the, uh, the possibilities of film. So the British Film Institute have got amazing resources and um, also days that you can take your students and you can take them over there and they just learn through film. So we were so excited about it that we actually included a film module in year nine and we were learning, you know, uh, we're just watching the film, but the, the students had to, you know, did a project and they were learning and, uh, you know, they were working on a film for six, seven weeks and at the end there was a project and uh, so that worked really well as well. And, uh, and then having a, um, a treasure hunts around the school. And for that, so at the end of every, let's say, every term, instead of just watching a film, in the MFL department, we used to have these treasure hunts that would involve culture, that would involve, you know, moving all around the school. And there would, would, would be QR codes all around, there were prices, and it was another nice way as well to develop and to raise the profile of languages. And uh, yes, just for the whole school. I always think that as MFL you know, teachers, sometimes I see myself like a, a little bit like a bee, like a friendly bee, like buzzing around all the time, <laughs> around with the SL team, as I look what we're doing. And, and I think it's very important as well to involve them. I mean, I mean, we were talking as well about having SL team going, you know, going to drift. I think it's great. But what about inviting the SL team as well to come to the lessons when something is happening? Not to observe us, but to see how, how wonderful things are happening in the MFL department. And even inviting the parents and involving the parents in this journey as well. I think that's very, very, very important because it, you don't have the support of the parents. You don't have the support of the SL team. It is it is very difficult to move you know to move forward. So having parents as well uh, coming to the school, experiencing what they were, it was going on in languages, learning a language themselves, you know, and offering something like you know, they could put themselves in have a good experience with the language. Because I had a lot of parents that said to me how much they didn't enjoy the French when they were in school and they didn't like it. That's not with the negativity, I thought. You know, when you come and you say, actually, when I was in school, <laughs> I was really bad at French. I hate that so much. 
And yes. we want to yes. break that. It's just like a culture. It's not just it's just what can we do to bring languages, not just in the classroom, outside the classroom, and to get the families involved and the communities. Absolutely. I mean, you've said exactly what I was going to say, Esme, about the parents. A number of times at parents' evening, I've had parents sitting in front of me and saying, oh, I wish I carried on with French. I wish I carried on with German. And so I think, you know, engaging the parents is a good way to expand our languages beyond the classroom uh, because we we get to show the, the students that actually it is important. And while they might not all see that right now, they could do future them a favour and, and not have the same regrets in 15, 20 years that their parents do. Um, so I think that's really, really important. Um, Rebecca and Fiona, I've got a surprise question for you, if you don't mind. Um, I will, you know, I will preface this by telling the audience that we've not prepped this one. Uh, it's something that has just occurred to me. Um, I teach the Japanese GCSE. Uh, and of course, within that, one of the themes um, uh, one of the units in theme four is specifically using languages beyond the classroom. And it's kind of, you know, it, it encourages us to teach about um, relationships and travel and employment opportunities, all of the things that we've been talking about today. Um, are those are there those same opportunities with the new GCSE spec in, in French and German and in Spanish for us to be able to bring these sorts of things into our lessons and kind of make it part of our curriculum how important languages are outside of the classroom. I mean, I think the new spec is is going to continue with with all of this wonderful work. It's not going to stop you in any way doing all these things to enhance what you're doing. I mean, it, it, the the theory behind it is 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 more restrictive content, obviously. So, you know, in, I'd love to say it's going to free up loads of time. I don't think it's going to be that straightforward. There's <laughs> going to be a lot to teach. I think. Um, but, you know, I think that rich culture and, and the love of languages, that's not going to change with this spec. Teachers are still going to do. We know that MFL teachers are this incredible bunch. You know, whenever I come to these events, I'm just absolutely humbled by the work that goes on. And just, you know, all teachers put their heart and soul into their job. We know that. And I yeah. think, you know, I'm speaking as, you know, having been part of that MFL community and I just I think MFL teachers language teachers will will always do that they will always look for those opportunities so you'll have a new course and you'll have new resources and um but I think all teachers will definitely seek out these opportunities because you know we we really really need things to change and and more students to take languages at GCC and beyond or at very least to to love languages and have it in their lives we know that the national picture is not great but all of these conversations speak of the opposite of that don't they of all these incredible events yeah. you know whether it's a, a school in Newcastle that you know maybe is a, an economically challenged area but it's not stopping them doing these phenomenal things so you know I think the new spec should should definitely not change the way that you're doing things and, and definitely encourage you to to get involved I mean I know I'm putting loads and loads of Spanish and Latin American culture into the books so that you know, whether students will get the chance to go there or not, um, they will definitely be able to experience that. And the new exams are, are designed so that students don't get caught out by their lack of knowledge of those things. They should, no student who hasn't been to the country or been on a visit will be impacted in any way. That's the whole point of the new Pearson Ed Excel spec is to avoid that. Um, but in terms of like the teaching and the resourcing, of course you want to to get your kids to see how languages can be used outside the classroom. And I think 
all these amazing teachers out there will continue to do that. I have absolutely every confidence that they will. And, you know, we're just hoping to support with that. Oh, that is music to my ears. Because I think, you know, I, when, um, when I saw that, that the global dimension uh, was part of the, I don't call it the old spec anymore, but I suppose it is um, uh, for Japanese. I was really excited by that um, because, you know, particularly with Japanese being a, a minority language, a relatively small language, it's really good to kind of reiterate to students studying Japanese why it's important on a global scale. It may not have the same, you know, global cachet as, as Spanish or French, but there are these things that you can do with it. And I would imagine, you know, as someone who is very, I'm going to use the word passionate again, and I really don't want to, um, <laughs> But as, as somebody who, who really believes in the teaching of smaller minority languages and, and protecting the teaching of those, um, I do think it's good for us to have the opportunity to, to have those conversations as well and say, yes, Japanese, yes, Ossetan, yes, Basque, they are all just as important as, you know, the big three. Yeah, I think it's definitely right. I think people have spoken about embracing, you know, students with English as an additional language in your classroom, make the most of that as a resource and learn from those students and, you know, the minority languages and, you know, obviously Japanese and, and Mandarin Chinese, it's much more challenging. I know yeah. um, I know that um, Xiaohong, who's uh, a colleague who's listening in, he has done incredible things taking kids to China and it can be done. Um, that's incredible I, you know I, I I mean he will he has had experience and he's about to take 135 kids to France so there you are that's brave isn't it <laughs> in 135 he's got lots that, of SLT. I mean that is yeah that deserves a medal I think I know but I think the thing is that you know if you're teaching Japanese and Mandarin and you feel intimidated by the idea of trips and visits remember this I mean Jessie who's who's been tweeting you know she's a perfect example of someone who's doing incredible work with music with oh, all sorts she's just doing so many things um, and you know, we I've worked with incredible Mandarin teachers who did beautiful tea, you know, tea ceremonies within the classroom. Yes. With, with you know, you don't don't feel like if the language you're teaching is is a country that is maybe hard or more challenging to get to, um, that there there won't be help available. Look at what um, you know Declan was talking about. There is support out there to get students to more far flung destinations, but you can actually get around it in other ways, can't you? Um, yeah. and do other things. I don't know if Rebecca wanted to add to anything I said actually about um, about the new qualification. I might have missed something out. <laughs> it's right. We've got a hand up, so I think so. So actually, it was just I was conscious of the time, and I didn't want um, didn't want de- uh, oh, didn't want fine. down to to wrap up without having the opportunity to say we really appreciate that we've had these three sessions to to get in and get to really get into these topics um more deeply and really get to discuss them and and share with lots and lots of people but i just want um anybody who's listening to know we don't want this to be the end of the conversation uh please do keep no. in contact with us um whether that is you know via the the twitter handles you can see us here with today or via kind of our more official channels etc please do reach out ask us any questions you want to let's have those conversations and yeah we, we don't want this to be the end of it and i couldn't let you wrap up the end of the show without uh without <laughs> jumping in with that <laughs> no Beth, I'm, I'm glad that you did i can't believe that we've come to the end of the show already you know these these two hours just fly by um and i've come away with so many great ideas from from all of you so i would like to thank all of our guests uh, this evening for giving up your time um you know because it is 
two hours is a long time for, for all of us, particularly on a Tuesday evening when we are so close to the summer holidays. Um, well, actually, I say that as if I didn't announce to everybody on Saturday that I'm already on holiday. Um, but I, I would like to thank everybody who is here this evening. I'd like to thank Fiona, Rebecca and Corrine. I would like to thank Esme and Declan. I would like to thank um, Vicky and Alice for being here because these these conversations couldn't happen without you. They couldn't happen without the diverse range of voices that we have in MFL teaching. And I, I, I reiterate what Rebecca said, keep in touch, keep in touch with each other, keep in touch with everybody because we've all got such good ideas. And, and I think, you know, if we're going to get the best out of our students, if we're going to show Britain why languages are so important, then we've got to work together to, to make that happen. Um, well I, said. <laughs> thank you very much. <laughs> um, I think with that, I'm going to hand back over to Tom to wrap us up. Thank you. Um, huge thanks. He wasn't to... expecting that. Oh, hello. Um, huge thanks to Pearson MFL um, for the last three amazing shows. What we're going to be doing very soon is publishing a blog on the website um, linking to all three of the shows in the series. So you can uh, go back and listen to all three again um, and hopefully uh, enjoy the ones that you might have missed. Um, huge thanks to all the live listeners tonight. There's been a lot of people uh, popping in and out. and Some people have been here from start to finish for the last two hours so thank you massive thank you um to you guys that's that's absolutely amazing um and massive thanks darren for hosting uh huge ttr team high five and uh yeah and we we always a pleasure we are still going to be talking about all things languages for the next sort of two months on TTR uh, in association with Pearson MFL. So make sure you listen to all the rest of our shows coming up in the next sort of eight weeks. Um, we've got we've got more to come. So thank you. And uh, yeah. And if you're interested in more TTR action, click the <laughs> listen live button on the website now because Catherine's already on with a with a great guest. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you, Tom. And thank you to everybody. This has been a great discussion. Um, in case I don't speak to anybody this side of September, have a wonderful summer. But please do speak to me. Please do keep in touch and let's keep sharing these ideas. Have a great evening, everybody. Thank you. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.